welcome to Different From The Other Kids, a weekly podcast for parents of challenging children with your host, Angela Sunis, author of the Amazon best-selling book, Different From The Other Kids. Each week, Angela interviews an individual or professional within the mental health community. Okay, guys, welcome. Thank you very much for tuning in to another episode of Different From The Other Kids. I am honored to have Patrick James here, who is a lawyer at Pinto Ray James in downtown Toronto. I am sitting somewhere right in front of uh, Old City Hall and right in front of New City Hall. I guess it's new. It's pretty old now. We're in the skating rink here. And uh, Patrick has been kind enough to take some time uh, out of his very busy schedule uh, to talk to our parents today. First of all, I'd like to welcome Patrick. Hi there. (laughs) We just want to continue on the conversation that we had started uh, last week. We had a conversation about the uh, Human Rights and and Mental Health, or the Human Rights Commission, uh, to do with mental health and dealing with some of the school boards and what parents can do to make sure that their kids are accommodated. So we're just going to continue on with the conversation conversation. So uh, if we can recap just a little bit, let's do a big, broad, huge perspective, Patrick, as we start our next episode into what parents can do to empower themselves uh, with the law in Ontario specifically. Thanks, Angela. As a lawyer who's been practicing in the area of human rights for over 12 years, what I'd strongly recommend if you are a parent of a child with a disability and you had concerns whether your child was being accommodated within their school or the school board uh, or that their disability was being accommodated, you should consider first educating yourself. If you go online, there's great resources. Uh, There's the Ontario Human Rights Commission has published many publications, informational publications that assist parents understand what their children's rights are. I know that Angela's going to be posting a few of these to uh, her website. Her website. Yeah. But uh, one in particular is the Human Rights and Mental Health Fact Sheet, which describes what the, the purpose of the Ontario Human Rights Code, and it also introduces the Human Rights Tribunal of Ontario. Uh, it's a tribunal whose job is to enforce the Human Rights, the Ontario Human Rights Code in Ontario, and it's a very important tribunal because it's a tribunal that hears applications. Uh, from individuals, and whether it be parents or children, who feel that they are being discriminated against on the basis of their disability in the school system, or not being accommodated within the school system. And I, I think it's very important for parents uh, to be aware of uh, what rights their, their children have to be accommodated uh, within the schools. And beyond that, what I also recommend is parents who run into trouble, uh, who don't believe their children are getting uh, the support they need in, in terms of accommodation or the support needed to be able to uh, succeed and, and eventually graduate from the school, uh, they have a right to file an application to the Human Rights uh, Tribunal of Ontario. And my experience has been that parents that have informed themselves of the rights of their children and who have gone to see a lawyer to assess their child's specific situation and uh, where the lawyer has advised them that the board is acting, or the school or the board is acting in a discriminatory manner uh, towards their child by not accommodating them. I find those are the situations or family situations where the child has been able to succeed and often uh, bring the message to the school or school boards that uh, they're not doing enough to support or accommodate their child at school and uh, it's resulted in very good outcomes for the parents. Unfortunately, it does take 
uh, some resourcing to be able to do that. Uh, but there is also a, legal, uh, a human rights legal support center in Ontario whose mandate is to assist and give pro bono uh, tips Good to, to know, individuals uh, or parents of, of people with disabilities where they can get some pointers as to or find out more about their rights. Fortunately, there is no promise that they'll actually take your case on, but if you're lucky enough to be able to have some resources or be able to get your extended family involved to assist your child, filing an application with the Human Rights Tribunal of Ontario is a good move. Uh, note also that you can self-represent yourself before the tribunal, self-represent or, or represent your child before the tribunal, but as a lawyer who works in the area, I, I don't recommend that, uh, that parents with kids in more serious cases represent themselves only because there is a chance that you have a good case and yet because you're not able to properly present it to the tribunal and present the necessary evidence to the tribunal, the case does not succeed. And that's a real travesty when there's a situation where a, a child requires help and where the, where the school or school board might be discriminating or not accommodating the child and whether the case doesn't succeed, it could result in school or school board continuing the same same lack of accommodation moving forward. Okay, so if we can just pull this back a little bit here, I'm thinking from a parent's perspective, one of the things that I know um, lots of parents are grappling with is they start out knowing that their child is challenged in one way or another, but in order to get any kind of valuation done, the school puts you into a category where your child has to be in a lot a lot of difficulty in order to get that evaluation done. And if you're going to get an evaluation done privately, I know I've done a few myself. I think they're probably in and around $3,000 now to get it done privately. It's a, called a psychometric test, and that basically tells you specifically how that child learns so that when, they, when you do go to make accommodation, they know exactly to the percentage that the child is struggling in what area, whether it's auditory processing specifically, uh, whether it's, I don't know what they call it, but when, you're, when you have something in numbers, uh, that the numbers jumble on the page, there's a whole bunch of different distinctions and the schools are in a position or they should be in a position to be able to accommodate. So I guess what I'm asking is, as much as we don't like the stigma of putting labels on things, I have been chastised for that already from many people, and I don't like it myself. The problem is that that's the way that the school board and that's the way that the legal system works is that you have to have some kind of a label stuck on it in order to make it stick, unfortunately. Is that about right? Um, so what do we do when we have a parent? I'd like to send a parent to you as a, for instance, uh, that we know that the child is struggling in many, many different ways. We believe that the child might have a diagnosis uh, of a different kind, whether it's not through the medical system, but certainly through a psychometric test. What do we come to you right away, and are you able to do anything about it? How does that work? How that works is, what, what I always tell my clients is, if often learning disabilities or children with disabilities, their disability goes undiagnosed for a long period of time for, for whatever reason. Maybe the, the parents just simply don't know that the, the child has a disability. Maybe because the parent doesn't want to realize the child has a disability, <laughs> or maybe the child is avoiding also seeking medical help for a disability, in particular the high school age where they don't want to brand themselves, although they, they, they start recognizing they're having difficulties and, and the same and difficulties that their peers aren't having. So what I always tell my, my clients who come in who feel like their, their son or daughter is being subjected to differential treatment and who tell us that their child is different, I tell them the first step is always to get a diagnosis okay. uh, for themselves. 
uh, even before sharing that with the board, is, is, is first get to the bottom of what's happening from a health perspective. And then what uh, I tell them to do is uh, go to the family doctor and maybe get referred to a specialist, something GPs don't know or, or, or aren't, don't have the expertise necessary to be able to diagnose a child with a, with a mental disability or learning disability. And then once you have an expert opine on, on, on the child having a learning disability or a mental disability, at that point, the challenge is to find out what are the required accommodations so as to permit the child to succeed in school, so as to permit the child to have the same opportunities as their kids to succeed. And that's a medical assessment. And as a lawyer, I always tell the parents that it's the job of the doctors to first diagnose the child with a specific, specific disability, and then beyond that, too, we have to prescribe what are the accommodations necessary. And that could be through the psychometric mm-hmm. assessment. And then once the lawyer has those tools, we can develop a strategy as to how to approach the school board to ensure that the, the child gets the accommodation support they require. That's very important because there are different ways of approaching the board. The first is to do it by simply re- uh, requesting accommodation. Uh, at the school or the school board level, and then seeing uh, the response from the school or school board as to what accommodations they're willing to provide. And what I see is that often the accommodations uh, that they're willing to provide, even after providing all the specific medical uh, information, often falls short of what the child requires. And it's at that point where you can request, uh, if, if they come back with a plan that is uh, incomplete or fall short of what the child needs, you advocate uh, to the board requesting that they provide all the accommodations that the uh, doctor uh, is requiring. And if it's still, if, if what the board is offering still falls short, at that point, have to involve a lawyer because sometimes school board officials don't have the expertise to fully understand or the resources, uh, sort of the, the expertise to fully understand what is what this child needs or even interpret what the doctor is saying the child needs. Or in other cases, the board's simply not willing to provide the resourcing necessary to accommodate the child. And it's only through advocacy that you can actually ensure your child gets the assistance they really need to succeed and ultimately graduate. And it's at that point that parents often come to us as lawyers to be able to uh, walk them through the step-by-step process uh, that we know works in terms of ensuring their kids get the accommodations they need and having to uh, give parents the leverage necessary to help their kids uh, succeed. So there is a bit of a lean that you're able to do as a lawyer with a parent that could come to you saying, I know there's something wrong, I just don't know what it is. The school won't give me any kind of such a psychometric test. They won't test them for anything. The testing that they're doing is way short of what really needs to happen. Is there any way that you, as the advocate uh, involved, can you lean on them to make sure that stuff gets done? Is that possible? Yes. Well, again, what gives us, it's all about leverage. And leverage is important to understand. Um, There's an imbalance of power between a school or school board and parents with a child with a disability. And uh, what I was mentioning before was one of the ways to gain leverage is getting a formal medical report with a diagnosis plus uh, providing the uh, recommended required accommodations that the specialist, often cases it could be a psychiatrist or a psychologist, is recommending 
uh, the supports the child needs to succeed at school. And what if they can't get that is, I guess, what I'm asking. If, if, if they're having trouble getting it. If they can't get that, can you help? actually, uh, I would, well, I tell the parent on their accommodation is a two-way street. This mm -hmm. is important to understand. Okay. There's two sides of it. One side of it is that the parents and the child must put their best foot forward, and this is recognized under law, to be able to do the thing that they need to to provide the information to the school or school board, an outline of the first uh, of the medical uh, medical uh, accommodation needs, so that the school board then has the information necessary to then accommodate. So it's not just what the school board needs to do, but it's also the parents have to do their homework first mm -hmm. to be able to provide, hopefully, a medical report from a specialist to the school or school board, so that they the ball is in their court to accommodate. Then you wait to see what response or how the, the school board responds. Uh, when the school board comes back, you assess uh, what accommodations they're willing to provide. If the accommodations are deemed inadequate, at that point, parents in conjunction with, with a lawyer can then uh, decide to file a human rights application uh, claiming that the board is refusing or failing to accommodate their child by not providing the accommodations necessary for their child to succeed. That is the way that you gain leverage on the school board to remove that imbalance of power. And, and uh, you can, at first, you know, at, at first blush, you can have a lawyer send a demand letter and, and, and threaten to file a human rights application if the board does not provide the accommodations necessary. In some cases, I'd probably say about 25%, that might be enough. Mm -hmm. Simply having a lawyer with expertise in the area of human rights, send a letter to the school board, often that can result in a negotiation or the school board simply capitulating, providing the accommodations. But should that not provide enough leverage against the school board, parents may very well be forced to file a human rights application to the Human Rights Tribunal of Ontario, assuming the school or school board is not properly accommodating them, is not resourcing uh, the child's need for accommodation. Mm -hmm. And in, I'll tell you, in the vast majority of cases, it, it results in a positive outcome uh, filing the application only because suddenly the parents are able to force the school board into a process, a litigation process, outside of the simple negotiation with the board, the conversation with the board they had previously been having. And then it, it forces the school board into the human rights process, which uh, results in a mediation about four to six months down the road after the filing of the application. And if they're not, if the parties are not able to resolve the accommodation issue uh, at mediation, then the parents have a right to a hearing. And further, you go into the uh, human rights litigation process, the more pressure it is putting on the school or school board to, in fact, provide the prescribed accommodations that the doctor is prescribing to the child, mm -hmm. a failing which the uh, parents have a right to go to a hearing and obtain a decision of the Human Rights Tribunal. The decision would outline whether or not the, the school or board uh, acted in uh, accommodated the child or acted in a discriminatory manner. And um, I, from my experience, schools or school boards or school officials, they are very reluctant to want to go to a hearing on issues of, of student accommodation in schools. Okay, thanks, Patrick. Sorry to pressure there on that last one. The reason is that I have a lot of parents who have kids that struggle, uh, but 
unless the child is either taken into the justice end of things or uh, for a, a violent reason or that they tried to hurt themselves, um, they actually don't get um, any kind of a, Patrick's nodding, nodding white, they don't get any kind of a diagnosis and that makes it a lot difficult to come forward to you um, and have and have this conversation. I'll just add one thing to address your specific point there about the psychometric assessment mm -hmm. is if the school board's refusing and saying to the parent, uh, we're refusing to, uh, to, to resource the psychometric assessment and sorry we're not doing it and status quo remains and the parent must simply, uh, it doesn't have the resources to do it themselves, that could also give rise to grounds to, mm -hmm. to file a human rights application against the board. But I would also recommend not just to jump into litigation, the, the type of advice we provide our clients is very practical. This is a very practical area. If there's a way to resolve these issues without having to litigate, that is always preferable. Litigation, in, in my view, should be a last resort un unless you've really hit a stalemate, a standstill, and the board is digging in its heels saying, we're not going to provide any more support for your child. And at that point, you know your child is likely not going to succeed uh, given the limited accommodation, if any, that the board's providing, or uh, or the any type of assistance. To, to recap, I mean, if the board is simply refusing to provide any further help in assessing your child, I, I would recommend parents not take a no for an answer and consult with a lawyer. And then, but in some cases, practically, the lawyer who has a background in human rights uh, sending a letter to the board. Uh, advice from the board that uh, you, that uh, the parents and the child think it's discriminatory that they're not providing the support could be enough to force the hand of the board to 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 provide the uh, psychometric assessment uh, required. Um, if that doesn't happen, then the, the logical next step would be to file an application to the Human Rights Tribunal, which could very well then give the parents and the student the leverage necessary to force the hand of the board to provide the assessment. <laughs> okay, that's awesome. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Now, one last question, if you don't mind. I've been reading recently that there are, I guess, let me backtrack here. I'm not getting what the school boards aren't getting, and I know that there's a lot more involved than what is what we can see here. But I just read something that in the city of Toronto, that they're actually starting to let go of a lot of the teachers' assistants in classrooms. How do you see that going and if we have parents that are out there, what advice would you give them, knowing that these teachers assistants in many cases are the ones, if we have a child that struggles, are the ones that are dealing with our, our kids. They're the ones that are actually making sure that their homework is checked. They're the ones that are actually walking them through if um, they didn't get the lesson the first time to give them a different kind of lesson in uh, perhaps a different processed way that they may be able to understand they're the ones that might actually be facilitating a little bit more of a peaceful existence uh, in the classroom for our kids. And they're about to get rid of the vast majority of them. And I'm just wondering, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? Well, starting point is, if, if, if one's child has a, a mental disability or a learning disability, first thing to recognize is your, 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 your job as parent has suddenly also become a job uh, Permanent job to be an advocate. Thank you, Patrick. From, from the age, from the from, from, Thank you. from the age uh, that you, you recognize that there is a disability, to to the date that your child becomes self-sufficient and able to take care of themselves. But these days, that that could be often into uh, a child's thirties. Um, so, you know, 
school boards go through and schools go through various changes. There's changes in school board policy and changes in resourcing. Uh, slowly but surely, it appears schools and school boards are coming around to recognizing the need for uh, more resourcing to support children with disabilities. Fortunately, we're, we're not there yet where it's being adequately resourced. So what needs to happen is parents will have to be vigilant, continuing to advocate for their kids. And where lawyers come, uh, human rights lawyers uh, become handy, it's where, you know, where parents' advocacy hits a limit, where they, they, they hit a wall, where they've done everything that they possibly can, and then realize that they, they need legal assistance to, to access the, or, or they require further leverage of a human rights, uh, to, you know, to file a human rights application or to potentially uh, file a court uh, challenge against the school or school board to ensure that their kids uh, receive the, the accommodation and support that they need. So to your point, obviously, if there's uh, teaching assistance uh, removed from the board, you know, what one might think that uh, it, it may lead to, to less support for kids with disabilities within the system, but it, but it also just depends on one thing to remove teaching assistance and another thing to, to see what what support these, a school or school board provides to kids with disabilities that might be separate from a teaching assistant in the classroom. If, my, if I had a child with a disability, I'd be more concerned about, even before my child enrolls, assuming uh, you, you, you know from a young age that your child has a disability, or if you find out mid, uh, mid, midway through elementary school or high school your child has a disability, is immediately find out what resources a school board has to support kids with disabilities and access what they have, let it be known that your child has a disability, which then forces the hand of the school or school board to actually provide the accommodations uh, necessary to your child. If you find those resources are, uh, if, they, if they don't provide your child with those resources, then what you have to do is advocate to get the resources. If you know the resources are there and they're simply not allocating to your child at that point, again, that's where you may require the help of a lawyer to, to you know, file a human rights application to the Human Rights Tribunal of Ontario. Uh, to force the hand of the board to allocate the resources that your child needs. Unfortunately, it's about until it's about. until we reach a time that um, schools and school boards are given the resources necessary to be able to assist kids with disabilities. It will be about the, the, the but there is also a secondary issue, and that is there is a educational component to this, and that is um, administrators at schools, teachers, uh, they, they need to be adequately trained. Uh, in the area of recognizing and, and understanding how to support kids with disabilities. And at this point in time, there isn't enough training and there isn't enough resourcing for board administrators and teachers to fully understand uh, how to support kids with disabilities. And as a result of that, based on a lack of understanding, um, often uh, what, what, what people do is they ignore the issue and they choose just to uh, not confront the issue that this child has a disability and simply treat them like every other kid, which results in differential treatment because this child has special needs, and yet, based on a lack of understanding, uh, it's easier to marginalize a, chi- uh, marginalize a child than it is to actually provide them with support. And, and what we're seeing is, uh, unfortunately, a decision by individuals to simply marginalize or find a way to remove them from their classroom, remove them from specific school, or even the board if they can, instead of providing the support they, they require. 
Okay, Patrick, uh, if one of our parents or a few of our parents wanted to get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to get in touch with you? If parents are looking to get support for their children, if, they, if their children are not being supported uh, or properly accommodated within uh, their elementary school, high school, college, university, uh, I do strongly recommend they, they contact a human rights lawyer. Um, our firm is Pinto Ray James, P-I-N-T-O-W-R-A-Y-J-M-E-S-L-L-P. Our phone number were, uh, is 416-703-2067. Uh, my name is Patrick James. So we're a nine-lawyer firm specializing in the area of human rights. But in any event, I recommend strongly that um, your child is run, encountering any issues within the uh, educational system. And, and uh, one of the smartest things you can do is uh, find out what your rights are and then get an assessment by a lawyer as to what can be done. Often parents can go on the internet and find out what their rights are, but they don't know what to do. And lawyers like myself, what we can lay out for our clients is a roadmap, a plan, and a strategy as to how to fix the problem. And that's what's lacking, is parents get overwhelmed not knowing what to do, and often uh, they continue to butt their heads against the school or the school board, uh, whereas a lawyer uh, with... Uh, multiple cases under their belt are able to tell them what works and what doesn't and how we can get to the finish line, which is the ultimate goal of assisting the child succeed at school. That's great, Patrick. Thank you so much for joining us today. Parents, thank you very much for joining us today. And um, we'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for listening to Different From The Other Kids, made possible with the support of My Mind Fitness a holistic approach to a fit and healthy mind. You can find them online at www.mymindfitness.com. Music and editing is a product of Among the Crowd Productions. You can hear more at www.amongthecrowd.ca. We'll see you next week. And now a disclaimer. In general, I, Angela Sunis, am not a doctor, and I certainly don't play one on the internet. I'm a parent, period. The advice from me presented on Different from the Other Kids does not replace advice received directly from a medical health professional. If you think you need help, I do recommend making an appointment with your physician or other appropriate health care provider.